Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast at Sixth Sense Media and Service of Change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II. This is the episode that challenges reality, questions at which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change, aiming to make the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. On this episode of The Secret Podcast, we're going to journey very deep down that rabbit hole and dissect this existence we believe we call reality. I'm going to look at the Nag Hammadi scriptures and some references they have. Now, this text over 1,500 years old. Some references they make to what I believe is a description of virtual reality, which ties into a whole bunch of other cool stuff that I've talked about on previous shows. Got some AI in the news as well that I'm going to talk about. There's been a lot of buzz about these uh, killer swarm robots. There was a video that went out and has gone viral. I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, you know, and then I'm going to get to the news before we do all of that as always. Uh, this week, I, I'm excited. I had an opportunity to sit down and get some more editing done on food for the Archons. I, I want to get this book done. Time is just, it's so tough finding time to do everything that I want to do in a day because there's just always so much going on, and I'm not complaining. But I was really pleased. It's been, jeez, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, it's been about two months since I've been able to really sit down and look at the book and go through it. But because I edited so much of it, um, Going through it, I'm very pleased with the status and the progress of this book. And I think I got through, there's a portion where I've been stuck with writer's block. And, and I think I got through that and cleaned it up in a point that, you know, at least I'm ready to hand it over to my editor uh, at that one section where I was talking about kind of the, the section that ties everything in together. It's research based on um, several creation myths and trying to look at what's our purpose here in this world. Why were we created? Because, you know, part of the thesis of my book is saying that, you know, we might be living on some kind of farm. And if not a farm, there is de- there are definitely forces out there that are feeding off of our energy. And I, I go through a lot of efforts in this book to show you what that energy is, show you historical um, accounts and research that we have this energy and uh, make a strong case that we, in fact, are being fed off of. But it's not a book of doom and gloom. I'm, I'm very proud of the progress I've made through this research because it was a healing process for me after my father died in understanding that, yes, this bad stuff is happening to us. It's mo- I believe that it's happening to us. But knowledge of this allows us to better protect ourselves. And that's what I'm really excited about. This is going to end up uh, as an empowering book. When I started writing, the book was straight doom and gloom because I had just watched my father die. And my outlook on the world was absolutely terrible. So I'm excited uh, of where this book is. I don't have a date yet when it's coming out, but... I'm feeling newly energized and motivated after getting some time last night to sit down and go through those sections that have been stressing me out. So more to come on that. If you haven't done so already, please sign up for the secret newsletter at serviceofchange.com. Come your comments for me and so much more, and you'll get access to read book one in the I Am Human, and we are not who we think we are. I invite you to take a look at that. It's a, It's a... I guess it's a philosophical outlook. What happened is 
I had a download of, of thought, a download of information, a download of understanding. Um, trying to, I was wondering, what is this reality? I still don't know what this reality is, but this is one of the things that happened to me. It was just this, an essay was put into my head, it's put in my heart. I don't know where it came from, and I wrote it out. And, uh, you know, that has sparked this journey. I've talked about it on other shows to my uh, my regular listeners out there, so I won't bore you with it. But if you haven't read the book yet, please, by all means, sign up, get the newsletter, um, and, and get the ebook. The website, I didn't get to work on it again this week. I'm sorry. It has been uh, a crazy week, but I promise you the Sixth Sense website is uh, is up and coming. Ray continues to knock him down with uh, the social media content he's got coming through there. Um, so much good stuff. Some great discussions going on at Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash the Sixth Sense Media and our Twitter feed. It's at six underscore sense underscore media. Check it out. Check out the work of Ray Davis, author of Anunnaki Awakening. If you haven't read that book, Ray does a great job of using fiction to explore um, you know, possible explanations for our reality. So just because something is, a, quote, a work of fiction doesn't mean there aren't truths in there. And Ray does a great job of not only entertaining you, but dropping some really good information and making, for me, a, a subject that's difficult to understand because there's so many different characters and names. He makes it easy to understand. So check out his book as well, Anunnaki Awakening. Uh, Ray, I'm anxiously awaiting your second book, buddy. I know we got to motivate each other. So <laughs> looking forward to when we can both celebrate our uh, the completion of our second books in our series. Okay, uh, there was something else I wanted to get to, and I just completely drew a blank. It's been one of those weeks, my friends. Ah, the remote viewing stuff. I, we took the week off last week. If you haven't listened to last week's show, I know my numbers were a little low um, You know, for last week's show. If you haven't listened to it, go back, and if you do nothing else, listen to the results section at the end. I, I'm, I was so impressed with the results that we got. Even though we missed the target, everybody seems to have missed in the same direction. So I have another remote viewing experiment that we can do this week. I'm running it a little bit differently. Uh, I'm gonna—I'll get to that at the end of the show. But I would love for you to join in. I've got a, you know a core group of, of steady regulars that are going through this process with me. Uh, I'm in the process of building a bigger practice platform for us because I believe we can all use this stuff. All right, enough with the commercials. You're probably saying, Dennis, shut up. I'm going to turn this podcast off. Let's get to the the content of what you what you're talking about on the show. Before we get to the, um, you know, the Nag Hammadi stuff and the the virtual reality that we may exist within, a funny article. As I was just prepping for the show, a funny article came across the way, and the uh, the heading was um, Navy admits to being involved in obscene dra- obscene drawings spotted in Okanago, Colorado, and it's a giant picture. At first, I thought it was chemtrails. It's a giant picture of a penis in the sky. Um, you know, it, it just it really makes me think. Number one, how sensitive we are in this world. It's you know they I guess they took their planes and the, you know the white smoky contrails that come out of it, and they shaped two testicles and a penis uh, up in the sky. Now it's not a, an obscenely graphic drawing. It looks like the figure eight with a, a column on top of it. But you know we all can do the math and we know what it is. And the Navy's even admitted to what it was. But. You know, I just think it speaks to just how sensitive we are. Have a sense of humor. I could understand if they were able to project through some kind of blue beam technology a graphic picture of a man's phallus. I can see how that would be offensive. You know, going on to Google and looking up, you know, actual nude body parts, fine. But somebody drawing something like this in the sky, 
not really a big deal. Have a sense of humor once in a while. I'm sure those pilots are in a world of trouble. Um, but I, you know, I look at that and I take it, you know, let, let's remind ourselves to not take things so seriously once in a while. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves and everything else going on. And we got to move away from this culture of everything offends me in this world. Now we're going to have things that upset us for our own reasons. I understand that, but we need to move past it because that's what's, that is ultimately what's preventing us from working together as we focus so much on how this offends me as opposed to, well, what can I gain from this? And from this situation, I gained a good laugh from it. I'm sure the service members are going to have a good uh, laugh at it on all the websites that I follow, all the feeds that I follow through social media because those veterans out there like to uh, make those jokes and pick on one another. So I look forward to that. Interesting article I found through Unknown Country. Researchers save a child's life with genetically modified lab-grown skin. Medical researchers have saved the life of a 7-year-old boy by growing genetically modified replacement skin for him. The young German boy suffered from a deadly congenital condition called epidermolosis bullosa, a condition that cases the sufferer's skin, causes the sufferer's skin to tear and blister as if it has been burned. Procedure not only saved his life, but he's now able to participate in sports with his classmates. By 2015, the patient had been admitted to the burns unit at the at the Bochum Children's Hospital in Germany. At that point, two thirds of his skin was either uh, was badly damaged or outright missing, and traditional treatments failed to yield results, including skin grafts from a donor. Okay. Uh, I got a lot to say on this. Number one, I think it's a wonderful thing that they're able to use this skin to help this little boy. A lot of this technology that I say can be, quote, scary, also has some great benefit to it. I guess my thought here, I'm going to, I was reading about AI today, so here's where it's coming from. My thought is thinking about, I'm using the movie Terminator as, I guess, my guide here, my almanac for this. You know, the, the early Terminators were easy to spot because their skin was so bad, but now the newer te- Terminators had real authentic human skin. I mean, is this something that we're going to be looking at when we get to the AI and the swarm bot stuff, that they're eventually going to have uh, actual skin? I, I don't know. But that's where my head goes. I know my sick, crazy, twisted mind sits there and gets worried that, uh, you know, this beautiful, helpful technology to save this boy could be used, uh, you know, obviously for nefarious purposes in the future. I, can't, I swear I keep drawing blanks tonight. Some other stuff I wanted to say about this. I'll probably come back to it in a few minutes. I'm sure I'm going to remember. I'm going to have that aha moment. And uh, that'll be the end of it. We'll come back to it with the fake skin. But moving on. Okay. There's been some articles circulating talking about the successful transplant of a human head. Um, when I read the article... And I'll have links to a couple of these articles in the show notes at servicechange.com. But when I read the article, I read the headline, I'm like, wow, this is insane. They're transplanting human heads. But I read the article and actually the successful transplant, quote unquote, was a transplant of a dead human to a dead human's head to a, the corpse of another dead human. Now, what the scientist is claiming, uh, his name is Sergio Canavero. What this neurosurgeon is claiming is that he connected the spinal cord and he connected all the nerve endings and all the blood vessels and veins and everything that would be required to be connected in order to have a successful head transplant. And he's claiming that a living human 
uh, I guess, subject will soon receive a head transplant onto a new body because they're currently paralyzed. Um, so that, that's how the articles that I read were reported. I did read an article from The Guardian. I'll have the links of this. That's kind of calling BS on this guy. Um, if you remember previously, this guy was responsible for doing the, uh, a successful head tra- transplant of a monkey. And this article, what they talk about is saying that um, although the monkey's head was transplanted, the monkey was euthanized after 20 hours. So they don't know how long the, the monkey would have lived. The monkey's spinal cord was never reattached. So the monkey was paralyzed and the monkey never regained consciousness. So you're level or your understanding or your definition of the word success is a relative term because there was a whole bunch of problems or potential problems that didn't bring it all the way to, yep, this is a fully functioning monkey who has no problems. That would be a better definition definition of success as opposed to, well, we connected everything and the body was still functioning, but after 20 hours we killed it and it would have been paralyzed and unconscious anyway. So that's kind of the argument that this article makes. And it went on to say that, you know, just because you connected a corpse, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to go into play here. This concerns me for a lot of reasons. I mean, we're really hacking the body here. I mean, and some of it's good. Some of it's scary. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want a head transplant. You know, maybe where they're going with the digital stuff is a a transplant in consciousness instead of an actual full-blown physical head transplant. They also talked about uh, rats that had the uh, the heads, you know, taken off of one body and successfully placed on another body. Here's what comes to my mind, though. How I feel bad for the monkey. I I feel bad for the rats. I I feel bad for these animals that we experiment on. I remember what I wanted to say on the last article, and it ties into this. That's why. That little boy that had that skin condition, one of the things that I'm trying to question through this show and through my my books and my writings and my research is the design of humanity. Who are we? What is our purpose? Why are we here? How did we get here? These are the questions that I'm asking. And my approach is, well, let's just look. If we were divinely, if we're not, I want to say divinely, if we were intelligently created, then what does our existence say about that creator? We have a little boy who has a disease that causes his skin to tear off. I mean, what what horrible suffering is inflicted on a child? Why? Why would someone or something create such a horrible possibility, no matter what how this is created. Again, that's if we were intelligently designed. If we were just a random act through the Big Bang Theory and there was no intelligence or an intelligent intervention, if none of that happened, then my argument holds no weight whatsoever. But if there is an intelligence behind life, behind creation, what is it thinking? And I've talked about this on other shows and explored this in my writings. You know, maybe that little boy had and his family had to go through that suffering because there's a lesson to be learned there, a very hard lesson to be learned there. I get that. Doesn't mean I like it. It sucks. And that's me being optimistic. Maybe, maybe the designer designed this existence to promote suffering. Because when you look at it, I shared a video on YouTube. It was all about predators catching their prey. Maybe I'm just getting soft in my old age. I don't know. But I was so sad watching it, watching these lions bite the gazelle and 
they're trying to escape. It just really made me sad. And I think about that. What kind of design is that? Well, you can be alive, but in order for you to stay alive, you have to kill something. And that something is going to be feel this tremendous fear. Maybe there's some transcendence that happens as a result of that. Maybe this is a really hard school that we're involved in, again, thinking positively. Or maybe, as, as Monroe talks about and, and my other research, you know, maybe that suffering produces a particular frequency of energy that is desired by whatever the designer needed or wants. And I look at these transplants and I feel bad for those rats and for that monkey whose head was cut off of their body and transplanted for the purposes of some scientists saying, can we do it? And I understand that's how we make progress in science. But that sucks, man. Like, that really sucks. I just feel for them. All right, before I go on forever, let's keep going. You know, I've been covering another topic that's that's a hot button for me, especially lately, is space, the weaponization of space, and the moon. And the Sun has an article. Uh, it's called Vlad's Over the Moon. Russia unveils 30 million euro, dollar, 30 million euro plans to start mining on the moon. Uh, the module will land in Bogolovsky Crater in the South Pole and begin drilling. I'll share this article in the show notes. Basically, what it's saying is they're going to send drones up first. They're going to be you know, the, the first to go before they actually send a cosmonaut up there. So again, they're relying on robotics and AI to go up to the moon. Now, I'm looking at uh, the, the book I talked about a couple weeks ago, Ingo Swan's book about telepathic communication with ETs and how he spotted life on the moon. And you got to look at the weirdness as, well, yeah, why did we stop going to the moon? What happened? I wanted to do a show on this last week. What happened that caused us to stop going to the moon? We had all these investments. The space race was huge. And all of a sudden, we just stopped going. And then a few years, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, we shoot a nuclear weapon, detonate a nuclear warhead on the dark side of the moon. You know, the official story is to see if there was water vapor there. I wonder if there's something else going on. Now, all of a sudden, there's a new space race. We're calling for this space race. And we have entities and organizations who are warning against the weaponization of space. Now, here's some connections we're going to make here. It was Edgar Mitchell, former Apollo astronaut. Edgar Mitchell was connecting with John Podesta in relationship to disclosure. Edgar Mitchell was claiming that he had direct contact with ETs. The ETs wanted to work with us in creating what he called zero-point energy, but they weren't going to do that if space was weaponized. Now, there is a big push to weaponize space. Right now, the official story is that that weaponization is to fight against other satellites and to protect countries from other countries, and it's going to be a new form of warfare. That's the new frontier. Could the weaponization of space be connected to ETs and aliens and things outside of this planet? That's quite possible. I, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't know. But I am curious that now, all these years later, we're deciding to go back to the moon. There's talk of now finally colonizing the moon or putting a base on the moon to then it be as a launch point for other missions further and deeper into space. What does that mean? I, I, I honestly, at this point, I don't know. Do we have technology that's decent enough now to get us there in a capacity that's going to allow us to defend ourselves from whatever might be there? You know, if, if you prescribe to the Stanley Kubrick theory where we, you know, calling Stanley Kubrick the guy who directed the moon landing, maybe we were never there. I, I have not been convinced of that yet. However, 
I've seen things that I can't explain. I'm not a physicist. I'm not an astronaut. You know, but some of these um, points that people point out, I'm not even going to say these YouTube videos, people point out things in the official footage that doesn't make sense to me. They raise questions, and maybe I'm just too ignorant to answer them. Um, but it does make me wonder, what the heck is going on in this world? We know our governments keep secrets from us. The question is, why? What else is out there? So we'll keep tracking that. More to come on the future moon missions. Let's talk about these killer robots. Some of you may have seen this. It's a it's a video that went viral. And um, I'm curious about the motives behind releasing that video. But what the video showed, and it looked, at first I'm watching this going, is this real? It was a guy giving what looked like a TED Talk, showing these drone technology. And he was these tiny little, you know, uh, swarm bots, I guess, killer robots um, that were able to detonate a small charge, basically put a bullet in somebody's head. The video was fake, and it wasn't claiming to be real, but the video was trying to portray a message, a work of fiction, but not that far from reality, showing that in the right hands, these things are a greater threat than nuclear weapons. Now, is this in fact true, or is somebody trying to spread fear about the potential of these robots? Because what it showed was that they were released on urban populations. They were going into colleges and universities and just randomly killing people based on whatever target criteria they were given. Could that happen? Now, the UN is saying, no, that's not going to happen. We're not worried about that. We don't want to put restrictions on these things yet. Uh, we'll revisit this in the next time we meet and see if we need to put restrictions on it. But there is a crazy arms race going on to develop AI, to develop this technology. But if you remember just last year, the, pre the Pentagon gave a press release about their own swarm bots, which do basically this already. They can overcome an enemy. I, I think in the hundreds or thousands, they can be released. They have a hive mindset where you don't have any one robot that's in control of the whole swarm. It adapts to the evolving battlefield on its own, and I believe they can self-repair. So this technology is there. But what they're saying is that mankind is still in control of this tech. What I say is, for now. But now I'm wondering, I think there's a long game here. You have this video, which was professionally made. It was well done, but it cost some money to make. I have no doubt about that. And the video is designed to scare us, scare us away from these robots. Why? What's the agenda? Is it strictly because we think it's bad and it's going to end the world? Or are we being steered into a particular direction? And as I've said before, Elon Musk is promoting us to merge this neural network our, you know, with our brains and tie it into the computers, which would create a whole different human, basically. We could turn us into cyborgs. And I'm going to come back to that when I talk about this reality and the stuff in the Nag Hammadi uh, that I'm getting ready to read. I don't know what the agenda is. As of right now, I think AI is very dangerous. That is my standpoint on it. That may change if I, you know, read something else that tells me otherwise. As of right now, I do think it's a dangerous advancement, uh, and I do worry about it giving these robots the autonomy to make their own decisions and to become weapons of war. I also suspect, again, I'm going to say this every show when I talk about this, this is all been done before. I think this is just a re I think this AI uh, exists. I think AI has something to do in either our creation 
or our evolution. I know that sounds crazy, but that's a perfect segue into what I'm going to talk about uh, in just a moment as we look at some of these ancient texts and ancient scriptures. And when you think about what this reality may actually be, uh, and I think that I think we're just going another level deeper, and I'm trying to explain that in ways that make sense to me, so hopefully it makes sense to you. It's like I have it in my head, it makes sense in my head, but when I try to get it out, I, I feel like it's not coming out clearly the way I want to, and I'm just trying to work through it. So I hope I'm not boring you or confusing you too much um, with my presentation of these concepts I have in my head. Uh, I'll share another article in the show notes and in the secret newsletter for Sunday. Uh, AI researcher warns Skynet killer robots easier to achieve than self-driving cars. It's another one just warning about how easy we could create these AI, um, you know, killer robots and how they are working on this technology. It's a, it's a very real thing. All right, so I, I want to talk for a minute, uh, for a few minutes until the end of the show, before I get to the remote viewing stuff again, um, about our reality. Now, I've done several shows on this. It's a popular theme on the show, things I've talked about, things I've experienced in my life that caused me to question that this is this existence, what we call life, what we call reality, is more than just this physical perception that we get. It's more than just this five-sense interaction. We're born, we go to school, we get a job, we get sick, and we die. There's more to it than that. Bob Monroe, his affirmation, I am more than just a physical body. Our research through Russell Targ and uh, and Hal Putoff and Ingo Swan, you know, through the... Um, the uh, SRI, you know, showed the, the ability to perceive things across space and time, which says, okay, there's more than just this physical reality if we're able to interact in that capacity. The research at the Farsight Institute, you know, that gives us a lot of good facts with the ground, um, with the with the remote viewing as well, the things that they're able to see and perceive. We're more than just a physical body, but what is the medium by which we exist within? What's the construct? That's the word. The matrix give me gives us the vocabulary. What is the construct program? It's more than just the nuts and bolts physical reality. You look at the quantum research in there. You look at the double slit experiment. We see that consciousness affects matter. I'm not sure how. I'm not well-versed enough in it. But when you get to the quantum level, things start to get really weird. Time takes on a whole new meaning. Physical forms and physical states and electronic states and it takes on a whole new meaning. I know that electromagnetism is important and it ties into us, to our own existence, our own internal processes and our ability to communicate and perceive that which exists around us. Okay, so the Nag Hammadi Library was found in a bunch of clay jars like 1,500 years ago. I'm sorry, it was buried about 1,500 years ago by the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics had a different view of Christianity. The Gnostics believed that the God of, at their day, in their day, modern-day Christianity, this is B.C., post-crucifixion, they believed that the Word had been basically perverted and that the God that everybody was worshiping through the Catholic Church was in fact what they call a demiurge, or some form of evil. Call him Satan, call him evil. You know, what they referred to him was as an archon. His name, in the, according to the Nag Hammadi, was Yaldabaoth. And he's the one in the Nag Hammadi scriptures who created um, mankind. Now, 
you know, the world was ultimately created by Sophia, who, you know, created everything. And then as a byproduct of her creation, the Archons were created. The Archons then created mankind in their image, and they did all these terrible things. Um, and that's where the Garden of Eden story comes from. The Garden of Eden is a much more condensed version. It leaves out all the Archon stuff and some of the negative stuff that goes on. I know I'm going quick through it. That's a brief rundown of, you know, what the Nag Hammadi scriptures and the Gnostic writings say. Now, the Gnostics were, were it was genocide. They were persecuted. They were killed. Um, I, you know, and again, I'm not the expert on this, but when they were reconfiguring the Christian doctrine, the Christian Bibles, they didn't want the Gnostic stuff in there. So understanding that they were going, that they were being hunted, they were being killed, and their works were being destroyed because history was and has been rewritten. It took this stuff out. They buried what's known as the Nag Hammadi scriptures in a clay pot near a town called Nag Hammadi, Egypt. David Icke has talked about this. John Lamb Nash does great breakdowns of this stuff. Again, I'm giving you the rough summary of it. But these things were buried. Now, if you think about that, that was the ultimate act of revolution. That was the ultimate act of defiance on probably one of the most important subjects in our existence. Who we really are. The system of control that manipulates our existence. They recorded it. They hid it in clay pots. It was found 1,500 years later. It was found in the 40s. What's significant about the Nag Hammadi scriptures is that when it was found, it was unaltered, which means the the Catholic Church and uh, the Council of Nicaea weren't able to edit these and change these and reword the Bible to fit whatever narrative they put in there. I'm not saying the Bible's BS. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying the Bible is edited or has been edited. There's stuff that's left out. Just read the Apocrypha works. So these were unaltered. And, this, and, and I've, I've been through this book, uh, it, it, and it's, it's, some of it's tough for me to, to grasp. I've had to read paragraphs multiple times. But there's this thing called an aeon. There's many of them. And at first, you hear about aeons. Sophia, who created everything in our existence, she was an aeon. So she was this conscious being that created our existence. But an aeon also is a long period of time. It refers to a time span. But in addition, the more I studied this, I realized that an aeon, an aeon in it of itself is a reality. It's a reality construct or a virtual reality. And I'm going to explain how I came to that conclusion in a minute. I did uh, two summers ago. I wish I still had time to do it, but I was doing what was called daily gnosis, and I was doing five minutes a day, going through the Nag Hammadi and sharing um, aspects of this as as I was learning. You know what this, what these scriptures were teaching. And I'm not a religious guy. This isn't religious in nature. This is just what is reported here. So I'm reading from one of the books called Zostrianos within the Nag Hammadi Library. Actually, it's on page. 550 is where it starts, where I'm going to be reading. It says, the realms below the self-generated aeons. So these conscious beings who are equal to large spans of time, who are also their own realities, generating themselves. It states, the great premise, I'm sorry, the great preeminence 
Authoronios said to me, Are you asking about these things through which you have passed? Or why this atmospheric realm has this worldly pattern? Or how many aeonic copies there are? Or why they are undisturbed? Or about the sojourn and the repentance and about the aeonic creation and the world that does not truly exist? I will openly teach you about all these things you ask of me. No revelation or mandate can appear to you even from the invisible spirit until you know these things and the doctrine that elleth that will appear to you. The two of us joined with the aeons that I had traversed. That's a lot of heavy stuff. Based on what I knew as a kid, that language doesn't hold any need, any place in a religious scripture. It doesn't make any sense. They're talking about false realities. What amazed me is that somebody 1,500 years ago, and who knows how old this information really is, was talking about false realities and copies of reality. Think about that for a minute. Think about parallel worlds. Think about the multiverse. Think about the accounts we have of these things. Think about the discussions I've had with Philip K. Dick, who said that his stories were actually from dream states, dreamlike states, where he was glimpsing alternate realities. They're talking about this 1,500 years ago. They thought it was important enough to bury because they were being killed for it, and now it's coming up again. All right, going on to the next page here, page 551. I hope I don't knock my microphone over. The Ionic copies and the illumination of souls. Now, the Ionic copies exist as follows. Before I read that portion, there's a footnote after the word Ionic copies. Listen to the definition in the footnote. The Ionic copies serve as a pattern by which incarnate souls are enabled to, quote, think that they see the ideal reality that truly exists, thus giving them an initial orientation toward intelligible reality, enabling them to be transferred from the mere visible copies of heavenly realities to the archetypal patterns contained in the truly existent sojourn, receptance, and self-generated aeons. It sounds like there's copies of realities out there that souls can be implanted in that will trick them into thinking that it's a real reality. Does that sound like our existence right now? Again, look back at, at the research of Professor uh, Theodore Gates, who is a quantum physicist, he's a theoretical physicist, who said he found computer code embedded in the equations they use to study string theory and states... We might be living in the matrix. He said that in a discussion with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've done a show on that. I've written about it. I did a whole presentation on it. Um, wild stuff. Okay. And this guy, um, Philip Gates, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, Professor Gates, not Philip Gates, Professor Gates. He was on Obama's advisory board. He's received countless awards for his work in theoretical physics. So he's not some looney tune out there who's just saying, hey, The Matrix is a cool movie. I think I. He's sitting there saying, based on my research in, in string theory, we are living in The Matrix. You have Nick Bostrom out of, uh, I believe, Stanford University, Stanford or Harvard, one of the big ones, who says, you know, who has the simulation argument, which states there's a good chance we're living in a simulated reality. Okay, that stuff sounds wild, but here it is 1,500 years ago. 
There's something to it. And now we're finally at a technical understanding, I'll say again, with our understanding of tech, AI, computer science, what they're coming out with with the new phones now, virtual reality and augmented reality. We are creating this again. The simulation argument talks about advanced civilizations, technologically advanced civilizations will ultimately one day create reality simulations or ancestor simulations as Bostrom refers to it. All right, back to the Nag Hammadi. They have not attained an equipment form, but they possess eternal glories and they exist as judgment seats for each of the powers. But when the souls are illuminated by the light within these copies and by the pattern that often arises effortlessly in them, then the soul thinks that she sees the truth and the eternal cause in the blessed idea that exists as the single unity each of light that all and she whole and she and and she unity each of I'm sorry there's a lot of spaces in here because they they weren't able to translate certain words the sojourn and the evidence for the repentance is with souls according to the power within them that mighty stand and inferior souls are trained by the aeonic copies which receive a replica of their souls while they are still in the world after the individual emergence of the aeons, they come into being and are individually transferred from the copy from the copy of the sojourn to the truly existent sojourn, from the copy of the repentance to the truly existent repentance, and from the copy of the self-generated aeons to the truly existent self-generated aeons, and so on. The souls exist in a light, them all through the aeonic copies. Wow. I don't fully understand what that says. Maybe you can interpret it much better than me. But it sounds like souls are put in these copies and they can't tell the difference. And eventually they're released from the copies and put into what is actually reality, the real thing. There's a lot of dots connected here. This is more than just some crazy conspiracy theory. Or if not, it's one of the oldest conspiracy theories in modern history, I would say. Um, A lot of people were killed over this knowledge so when we start looking at all the drama going on in the world today I say to you it's a distraction because we number one don't understand our current reality we don't even understand who we are and our connection to that reality and our ability our ability to obtain gnosis or knowledge through that reality and it's worth our time and it's worth our study and if you're better versed in this than me please get in touch and tell me what you know because i think this is one of the most important things for us to understand if we're truly searching for truth and gnosis all right friends Uh, I want to jump into real quick the uh, remote viewing experiment for the week. I'm going to do this a little bit differently. Um, I'm going to release you on your own to do the experiment when the show is over. But I'm going to give you uh, a number to write down. That is our target coordinate. This is what's called coordinate remote viewing. Now, we haven't trained for this. We haven't practiced in this. I'm giving us a watered-down version of it to see what we get, to see if this better directs it. What I did was I wrote down the actual target of what we're going to be viewing. I wrote down a description of it. I wrote down what you're supposed to be looking for. 
that description is directly related to the target coordinates I'm about to give you. Okay? I want you to, if you need to pause it, pause it. Grab yourself a piece of paper. Grab your phone. I want you to put this number down. And then I want you to, when you have a moment, and, and if you're in the mood to do it now, do it now so you don't forget or so you don't keep putting it off. But I want you to write down, when you, when, once you quiet your mind, once you go through your relaxation techniques, I want you to sit down and I want you to write down this on a blank sheet of white paper, write down the target coordinate numbers. And as soon as you write it down, start tapping into those perceptions. Don't tell me what the object is. Tell me what the colors are. Tell me what the shape is, the textures. Describe it to me. Describe everything. Even if you're afraid you're wrong. Because remember, remember how that worked out last week, okay, or two weeks ago. So I'm holding an object in my hand right now. I'm going to give you the target coordinates. And I'm going to release you on your own to go do your session and send me the results I will send you, once you send me the results, I'll send you a picture of the object and I'll send you the description of the target coordinates. That's my hope for this week and hopefully it will give us better results. Okay? So, you're going to write down the target coordinates of 6782. Again, your target coordinates are 6782. Write them down at the top of your paper and then focus on what those coordinates represent which is the object I'm holding in my hand right now, which is the object I will send a picture of to you once you send me the results, once you send me your data. That's what you're going to be viewing. All right, friends. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end the show here. I look forward to hearing your results there. A lot of heavy stuff, uh, but a lot of important stuff that we talked about on the show. So as always, thank you for listening. Please, 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 if you enjoyed the show, Share it. If you listen on iTunes, give it a rating. Uh, anything that helps get this word out there, get this show out there, and, and helps to grow the show. Um, don't forget to connect with us, facebook.com slash the Sixth Sense Media uh, and uh, six underscore sense underscore media on Twitter. Check out the work of Ray Davis. You'll see him all over the Facebook feed and the Sixth Sense Media feed. And you'll have him in the links uh, of my show notes at serviceofchange.com as well, his book, Anunnaki Awakening, and also of the affirmation spot with all the positive affirmations out there to help you improve and change your life. Ray Davis is uh, he's a genius. I don't know what else to say about him. I love all the work that he does uh, you know, for this platform that we are building. That's all the time I have, my friends. This has been another episode of The Secret Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you.